Today's scripture reading is John 16, verses 1 through 15. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak with on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Again, welcome, church. So glad that you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Nathan, one of the pastors here. It's uh, delightful to be together to open God's word in this space. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll jump in. Father, we come before you knowing that you are a good and loving Father who has good things planned for his children. And so we come expectant. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who has opened up that, that path for us into a relationship, into an adoption, into this family. That you are our big brother. That God is our Father. And that we are sisters and brothers with one another. We're grateful for that. And Holy Spirit, we pray that even now as we look at your word, you would enter into every nook and cranny of our lives, even the parts that we are unaware of or ashamed of or afraid for you to go. We welcome you. We long for you. And would you do this work in us that we are so desperate for? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around here for any length of time, uh, you have probably at one point or another judged my parenting. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I know. I know. At least, I at least got one honest person. So many of I know you have. Some of you have told me to my face that you judge my parenting. Whether whether it's the the times, couple of times where my kids almost got eaten by bears. That's uh, a friend of mine right there. Uh, or or the many hikes that I've taken them on that no human should ever go on. That was this past summer. Super fun, guys. Uh, you've you've judged my my parenting. I get it. But listen, like they're okay. They're okay. They're still alive. They're functioning, then mostly they're, they're enjoying themselves. It's been, it's been fine. But I have, I have, of course, made my share of mistakes as a parent. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. It is interesting to note, though, how many of mine do happen inside a national park, okay? Uh, there's some sort of uh, way that happens. Uh, and there's one in particular, one of my biggest parenting fails. Some of you will remember this. Uh, 
Yeah, some of you will remember this. Uh, one of my biggest parenting fails, it happened in, in Great Sand Dunes National Park. So that's in Colorado. If you've not been there, I highly recommend it. It's not that far. It's, it's quite incredible. Uh, and this, this happened on May 22nd, 2014. The reason I know the date is because Kelly caught the whole thing on video. Uh, I assume because she's been gathering evidence in case there's ever a custody hearing. <laughs> it's terrible, but you know. You never know. Okay, so Eden, Eden was barely five at the time. Uh, you can see her there. Barely five, okay? And I had this brilliant idea uh, that she and I, together, holding hands, should sprint down a giant sand dune going as fast as we possibly can. What could, what could go wrong, right? A five-year-old and a grown adult. And I'm, I'm not a small guy, right? Uh, so this, this is my idea. And, and you could even, like, you could see it in her eyes, even in that moment. See it on her face. Like this sort of, like, this is a really terrible idea. Uh, but he's my dad. So what am I going to do? So uh, now, spoiler alert, we are going to watch the video. It's very short. Uh, spoiler alert, though, she's okay. Okay, you've seen her around. This was a long time ago. Okay, she just turned 14. Uh, she's fine, and she, she still loves me even today, uh, most of the time. But let's, let's go ahead and just take a little look. All right. All right. Let's do it. Ready? Go. Oh, Yeah, yeah, not not my finest hour, people. Uh, okay, so it's 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 horrifying. Like, look look at it again. Yeah, there it is. That's that's the money shot right there. Uh, which, by the way, we didn't even know how bad it was until we went back and like watched the video in slow mo. Because uh, she was actually she really was fine. In fact, we have a picture afterwards to prove it. Uh, she was okay. She didn't miss a beat, right? Uh, but like, when you look at that other picture, like I should be arrested, right? Like, good grief, I'm a, horrible, I'm a horrible human, like, thinking of my baby girl in that position, right? It's not, it's not right. And the thing is, though, okay, when Jesus says to his disciples, hang with me for a second, when he says to his disciples, I have said all these things to keep you from falling, to keep you from falling away. This is, this is what, I, what I picture, I mean, this is the story that as I read that verse, instantly came into mind. This, this is sort of what I picture, but, and, and no, no disrespect to Jesus, but it's sort of like Eden in this moment is the disciples. Uh, and they are holding on for dear life, right? But it feels like, if you've been with us these past few weeks in the upper room, right, right before Jesus' death, it feels like he's dragging them. They can't keep up, and they're about to make a death roll in the sand, Right? And I've been, I've been following Jesus for a long time, since I was 18. I don't, I don't regret it, not a bit, not one bit. But there have been more times than I care to admit, especially it seems like in these last few years, more times than I care to admit where it's felt a little bit like this. 
where, where I, I feel like I'm gripping onto his hand for dear life, right? And yet even so, I'm about to get, you know, beaten up, bruised, and sand on my pants, right? And, and the thing is, if you've been following Jesus long enough, you probably know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, there's a good chance there's a time coming at some point in your life when you're going you're gonna to feel that you're gripping onto him. And he says, I say these things so you do not fall away. You're holding on. But the reality is, it's so easy to feel like you're falling. And the disciples, I'm convinced, in this moment, they know it. Jesus knows that they know it. And they, they experience it. All the mess and the difficulty they're, they're about to encounter together. And Jesus knows it as well. He knows what they need. He knows what we need. And he knows actually how much we need someone other than him to hold us up. That we don't just need him beside us, gripping our hand. We need his spirit within us. Because it's just so easy to fall. And so if you haven't already, turn to John 16. Turn to John 16. So, so again, together as a church, we've been in John for a long time, right? Uh, and even in these last, it feels like we've been in this upper room spot for a really long time, right? Since the start of this year. Uh, and, and it's one of the most remarkable sections of Scripture. John slows way, way down in the narrative and gives us five consecutive chapters, more than, more than 150 verses, of Jesus' final teaching to his disciples just before his death, right? Like, it's, it's his last night uh, with them before his death. It's, like it's Thursday night. It's getting later and later as we continue on in this, this series. It's intimate. It's beautiful. It's about love and obedience and courage, but it's also, it's hard. Because he's telling them, hey, guys, I'm leaving, and things are going to get really, really bad. He's, he's trying to prepare them for what's going, and, and they are going to fall, in some ways. They're going to experience, after all this, not only the loss of Jesus in that moment, right, and the despair that they're going to feel in just 24 hours, less than 24 hours, but the persecution that's going to come upon them, the fact that most of them are going to be killed for their faith. I mean, sure, they're, they're literally going to change our world. Literally. They don't, they don't know that. And none of them live long enough to even see it, not to even get a glimpse of it. And so it's right there in the middle of these hard words that Jesus says to them. Go to verse 1 again, chapter 16. Right in the middle of all this teaching, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. So that's kind of their religious sort of cultural institution. They're going to kick you out. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so Jesus there, he's, he's basically saying, hey, like, I, I want you to remember when everything falls apart in your life, because it will, like literally everything for them, and oftentimes for us as his followers, right? He's saying, remember, remember, I warned you it was going to be this way. And so I don't, I don't want you to be surprised, right? I don't want you to be caught off guard. It's not, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's not because I don't love you. 
It's because our world is just that broken, and the world does not know me, he's saying, or the Father who sent me. And so if you missed last Sunday, Tim took a lot of time talking about this, right, in the previous section of the, of, of the animosity that was coming upon them and that we also end up experiencing. And as, as things get harder for us as followers of Jesus, even in our own context, like we have to remember we are not victims in this. Like, no matter what happens to, to us, and I'm convinced the folks at Elam, right, who, who truly are suffering a, a kind of persecution that we know nothing about, right? We're not victims. We're apprentices of a suffering king. Like, this is simply part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we don't, we don't retaliate. We don't play the victim card. We don't run and hide. Jesus told us this was going to happen. And when Jesus says all of these things, he can see the sorrow filling their hearts. Of course he can, right? You can almost, you can almost see them gripping tighter to Jesus' hand at this moment. Please don't leave. Jesus, just don't, don't go. Like, don't, don't let us fall. Hold us. And then what Jesus says next to them just seems so crazy to me. I mean, it must have felt ridiculous to them. Look at verse 6. He says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Like Jesus, he knows what's going on. He knows what they're feeling in that moment. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, even as we read that, but I mean, especially as we think about the disciples, like on what planet could it possibly be better for Jesus not to be here. Right? Don't, don't you feel that a little bit? Like, how, how, Jesus, how could you possibly say such a thing that, you, that it's better for you to, to leave, to go? Because it'll be to our advantage. That you'll, be, you'll be better off, he says, when I'm gone. Now, this isn't just Jesus being melodramatic, right? Uh, planning for his death, like he's super depressed or something, right? That's not, that's not it. He means it because he knows if he leaves... Someone else will come. Someone, someone else he, he will send to help us, to hold us. Look at verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, Pastor Gabe, two weeks ago, talked a lot about this. So if you're here two weeks ago, again, you can go back and watch all these or listen to them if you want. All, the, all this, I mean, Jesus is kind of tying everything together in these last several chapters together. But Gabe talked a lot about this, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is going to send his spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus to us. And the, the word here, it's translated in, in the translation I read, the ESV, as helper, uh, other translations, so depending on what you have, might have advocate or counselor or friend or comforter. Those are often used. It, he's all of those things. It's a hard word to translate, but the idea is that he's someone to help us. Someone, someone to keep us from falling, to hold us when no one else can. Because the reality is Jesus had limitations, which feels like heretical to say, doesn't it? sounds crazy, but he had, he had limitations. When he entered this world, he did so truly as a human, right? With a, with a human body. 
And so in his human body, he could only be in one place at a time, right? He couldn't be in this room and that room at the same time. He's only got two hands, right, in his human body to, to hold us up, right, literally. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and when I say the Spirit of Jesus, it's not like the Spirit of Christmas, right, or it's not some vague feeling or like Star Wars-like force. That's, that's not it. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third member of the Trinity, and unlike, unlike Jesus there on earth, he can be always present anywhere. And that he even longs to make his home in us. I mean, that was one of the things that was most remarkable that Gabe brought out two weeks ago in this, is that the, I mean, just think about this. Get your, like, if we can get our minds, like the infinite God, right, who, is, who cannot be contained in all of his bigness and glory, condescends to make him at the same time, make himself small enough to live within us, right? It's incredible. And so that he can help us, not just from without, holding our hands, but from within, giving us strength, courage, joy. And so it is to our advantage that Jesus leaves. For now we have his spirit, his ever-present helper within us, And as we keep reading this, we see three ways the Spirit helps keep us from falling. Three three things in particular that Jesus draws out as he keeps talking here. First, first he makes it really clear that our helper convicts the world. Convicts the world, which is both good for us as Christians and bad, right? There's there's good good and bad or tension in that. It's good because Christianity literally has changed our world. I mean, it truly has. I don't, I don't know of any historian or sociologist would, who would seriously debate that. For, for example, historian Tom Holland, uh, who to my knowledge is not a Christian, uh, his widely respected book, Dominion, How the Christian, Evolution, Christian Revolution Remade the World, right, he takes 600 pages uh, to unpack this. That our, that our understanding of human rights, of justice, of love, forgiveness, humility, sacrifice, all of that is birthed out of what Jesus is doing right here in this moment with his disciples. That it it starts in so many ways with Jesus flowing out through his disciples who are empowered and indwelled by his spirit, and it literally changes our world, our understanding of all of these things, right? There was no such thing as human rights in the first century. Like, rights were for the powerful, right? They changed all that. But what what difference could this group of ragtag misfits actually make? Right? Especially in the midst of so much hostility and persecution in the first century. How could they do that? Well, not much. They couldn't do much without a supernatural help or someone to convict the world. And so look at, look at verse 8. Jesus, again, is still speaking here. He says, And when he comes, when the Spirit comes, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world, of this world, is judged. Now, Jesus says a lot there, and it's not exactly uh, the easiest passage to understand, right? But let's even just unpack those three things, right? First of all, it says he convicts, convicts the world. That's the, the broad thing, right? That's a, that's a good thing. Our world is a better, better place for it. And he convicts us of three, three things. Like us, our world, he convicts three things. He convicts the world of sin. So that's the most obvious, meaning the bad things that we do, right? Uh, it's like when you do something wrong, we often 
feel bad about it, right? It works sort of with our conscience to say that you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Like that. That's a help to us. It may be uncomfortable. We don't like that, right? But it's, it's helpful. It's healthy for us to feel that way. He also convicts the world of righteousness, which is kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? But this is, this is one of the most unique things about Christianity, that we don't just uh, repent of the bad things we do. We also acknowledge that even our righteous things come with such a mess so often, right? Like even, even the best things that we do so often are tainted with, with bad motives, right? Or a desire to be applauded or ple- like we have all these different, or bad attitudes, right? All these different things that come along with it. And so you might do the righteous thing, but do it for the completely the wrong reasons. And that we, that we need conviction even there, right? Because we, we know this, like when, when people become self-righteous, like, like those are hard people to be around, right? It's a, it's a messy situation. None of us want to be that way. We need conviction even there. That's, that's how badly we need Jesus. And then, and then of judgment. I think this is, this is the faulty ways that our world or that we, our culture, or context, however you want to talk about it, the ways in which we try to assess what is good and true and beautiful on our own. That, that essentially we can come up and do our very best to judge something. This is good. But actually God says it's, it's not good. It's actually bad. Or, or we can do the opposite. We say, this is bad. And, and God says, actually, no, that's, that's good. Like even our ability to discern right and wrong needs conviction, needs God's conviction in our lives. This is, this is how broken we are. And the Spirit comes and brings all of these things to us. This is how much we need conviction. But nobody likes it. Right? Do you like it? No. It's, it feels awful. Right? The world doesn't want to be convicted around us. I don't, I don't want to be convicted. Like, I want to do what I want to do and then feel good about it no matter what it is. Right? Conviction is painful. And it often causes rage within us and around us. I mean, this is part of why Jesus says that we will be persecuted. Because we, as, as followers of Jesus, who ought to be living lives that reflect Jesus, that when we do, it's a reminder to the world around us of what is good and true and beautiful. And when we see that, it, it causes, makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? And so, for example, like when, when God says that racial inequality must be addressed, or that the unborn must be protected, that vulnerable women should be cared for, that cohabitation, pornography, and sex outside of biblical marriage is sin, that forgiveness is necessary, that gossip is evil, that we must love our enemies, that generosity is the best life, that our time is not our own, that our identities are not something we get to invent, that even our best attempts at being good are like filthy rags. Nobody wants to hear that. It makes us uncomfortable. But the world needs it. We need it. And so even just from a personal standpoint, are you listening for his conviction? If you're a follower of Jesus, God's spirit, the spirit of Jesus lives within you. Are you listening for his conviction? Holy Spirit, where am I missing it? Where am I just completely blind to these things or just, just sort of pressing into my own self-destructive patterns, right? Where, where do I need change in my life? This is one of the ways our helper helps us. It's one of the ways he keeps us from falling. He convicts us. He convicts our world. He also guides God's people. 
That's the second thing. That our helper guides God's people. In church, we need, we need a guide, don't we? We need someone to lead us. All of us are rookies at life. None of us have ever done any of this before, right? We're all just trying to make it up as we go. We need a guide. We need someone to help us. But I tell you, though, when, uh, when we are doing some of our, our traveling or you know, our adventures, I, I'm really opposed to hiring a guide. You need to go to those places, all different kinds. It's like I, it's, typically, it's the last thing that I want to do. Uh, for two reasons. One, I'm super cheap. I just don't want to spend the money. And maybe a little arrogant thinking, I could probably figure it out on my own. Uh, and two, I would, just, I would rather be alone with the danger uh, than with a stranger and safe. I mean, that's just part of my personality. So uh, now you know something about me. Uh, so I would, just, I would rather, so it's always my default. It's like, we'll just go and we'll just do this adventure alone and, you know, we'll just hope for the best, right? Uh, hence, uh, hence the sand dune thing, I guess. Um, but a few, a few years ago, a few years ago, uh, Kelly and I traveled with some friends. We were all celebrating our 40th birthdays within like an 18-month time period. And we went to Manuel Antonio National Park. Got a picture here. Uh, if you ever get the chance, I would recommend it, okay? Uh, so incredible beaches, but also like this massive expanse of jungle. Just like jungle. And, and despite my initial sort of internal resistance, we did hire a guide. His name was Edwin. And the reality, like, he showed us things that we would have never seen on our own. Like, there's just, there's, there's no way. Like, like he, he knew where to look. He knew what to point out. Like, we saw sloths climbing in the trees. We saw monkeys playing in the sand. We saw a Jesus Christ lizard, which is actually its name. We, we saw it run across the top of water, which is why it has the name, right? It literally walks on water. It's incredible, people. We saw it happen. Like, we were, like, living our own episode of planet Earth right there. And all of it, like, we would have we missed all of it without Edwin. Because he, he knew where to go. He knew where not to go. Uh, we felt safe wandering through the jungle with this guy. Like, all of it was because we, we, had, we had this guy. He knew where to look, and he made all the difference. And so when, when Jesus says, like, verse 13, look, look how Jesus s- describes this. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, which is such an inter- interesting title just of itself, right? Spirit of truth. When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And just as a side note, I mean, this is, a, this is part of the reason why we believe the New Testament is God's word. It's because Jesus promised that he was going to send his spirit into those disciples like to recall and remember the things that had happened, to be able to, to write them down for us. And this is, this is the primary way that our, our spirit guides us, right? It's through his word. And people, we need a guide. Like I said, all of us are rookies at life. You know, I'm a parent of teenagers now. I don't know how to do that. And, and yes, we have one another, and we can read books and all that, and we should, absolutely we should, right? But we have access to a supernatural guide as followers of Jesus who lives within us, who longs to guide us today through his word, through his people, and through his whispers among us. You have God's spirit within you. When's the last time you've asked him to guide you? Like specifically, like, Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't know how to raise my kids right now. I don't know what to do next with them. Guide me. Or, or Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm really stuck in this area of work or school. I don't know what to do. Would you, would you guide me through this project or through this, this moment or whatever, whatever it is? Or Holy, Holy Spirit, I, just, I don't know what my future ought to be. 
I don't, I don't know what I look like. I don't know how to fix this relationship. Would you guide me? And then, you know, listen for his promptings. And ultimately, where does, he, where does he guide us? Well, ultimately, he guides us to Jesus. This is, this is the third way that he keeps us from falling. So he convicts us, he guides us. But the third thing here is that our helper preaches Jesus to us. Maybe a strange way to say it, right? But this is, this is how you know if God's spirit is really at work. Uh, is Jesus glorified? Is he exalted? Is he, is he the focus, right? Is he being proclaimed? Is he being preached? Look at verse, verse 14, how Jesus says it. He says, the, the spirit, the helper, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it, proclaim it, preach it to you. And so the Holy Spirit is like, is like a preacher who lives within you, uh, which maybe sounds a little bit weird. Um, my kids are like, we have one that lives in our home. Isn't that enough, Dad? Um, sorry, kids. I apologize. I get it. It feels, it feels weird, right? The idea of having one that lives inside us. But here's the deal. If you're honest, like there, there are so many sermons around you constantly. So many voices inside your own head, like from your upbringing or from your circumstances or, or whatever, just personality, as well as all the, the voices around you constantly preaching to you. Voices of inadequacy. Do you ever hear those? Shame, rejection, despair, selfishness, entitlement, anger. People, there are so many sermons we hear all the time. Things going on in our head or around us constantly, and so many of them are destructive and misleading. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is also trying to preach to you. Trying to to raise his voice above all the rest, or maybe just waiting until you quiet it down enough so that he can be heard. Because you really do have to listen. And if you want to know what his sermon is, what it's always about, it's always ultimately about Jesus. Every time. I think that's what Jesus is saying there. And, and so when, when you're afraid, uh, the sermon ultimately is that Jesus is with you. That's what he's preaching to you. When you're overwhelmed, it's that Jesus will help you. He's not forgotten you. When you're sad, it's that Jesus sees you. When you feel alone, it's that Jesus wants you, pursues you, loves you. When you're overcome with shame, it's that he accepts you, that he forgives you no matter what you've done. The Spirit is always preaching to us. Are we listening? And so Jesus started this, this section, right? With, by saying, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And the reality is, I would, I would guess that many of us have people we really care about who have fallen away. Fallen away. But people who mean a lot to us friendships, maybe family members who've stepped away, right? We, we feel the pain of that. Or, or, maybe, or maybe if you're honest, you feel it for yourself. Maybe you feel like you're halfway there already, right? You're just, you're just barely hanging on. You're like Eden, just, just gripping onto those fingers for all that you have. 
And so maybe you hear all this and you think, yeah, yeah, of course I need a helper. That'd be great. But I don't, I don't feel it, right? How do, I, how do I access this? How do I actually receive this, this conviction, guidance, this, this quiet preaching directly to our hearts? How do we experience the Spirit in our, in our, own, in our own lives? Well, it's, it's kind of squishy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's hard, to, hard to know. It's hard to understand. It feels very awkward and, and weird in many contexts for us to even talk about. How do we actually hear the voice of God within us, right? Well, let me, let me say a couple of things here. First of all, first of all, it begins by actually receiving the Spirit through Jesus, and so if you're, not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never said to Jesus, I trust you, like forgive me, save me, um, help me, right? Uh, that, then you have to begin there. You have to begin by putting your trust in him. Because right after this story, like shortly after, he, Jesus is going to go to the cross for you. Like he is going to come out of the ground for you and he longs, the infinite God, right, who cannot be contained, longs to make his home within you. He is pursuing you even now. And so you got, you've got to begin by saying to him, I trust you. Forgive me, you can, have, you can have everything, right? Just help me. Help me through your spirit. And then once, once you've done that, or maybe for those of us who have already done that, you're still asking, okay, well, I, I get it, but how do I access his help in my life? Well, there is so much that could be said here. Um, but for simplicity, I'm just going to suggest one thing. Because I think it's, it's one thing that I think most of us, maybe all of us, could use a little bit more of in our, in our lives and the pace in which we live. But if you actually want to hear God's spirit, we, we need this. It's so simple. It's not very exciting at all. It's just solitude. We just need more quiet in our lives. Time built into each day, every day, every week, without screens, without interruption, without sounds, without others, simply to listen, to see what God has to say. A couple weeks ago, we did this together uh, as, a, as a staff, all of our staff across Christ Community. Uh, so three times a year, uh, we have these uh, kind of all staff gathering days uh, together, three times a year. So it's usually about 60 or 70 people from all of our campuses, our multi-site office, every position, uh, all together. And the last one was, was here in this, this space just a couple weeks ago. Uh, and we did something that we've not done before, at least not since I've been on staff here, which has been a long time. Uh, we took quite a bit of time to be alone together seems really weird. We spread out all throughout this room to have like a slow pace to just listen quietly. So we were together, right? We were in community, and yet we had space to just sort of journal out what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, what God is saying. Um, And it was, for me at least, it was just really meaningful to, to take sort of forced time to be attentive to the God who dances over us. And so are, are we attentive to him? Are we watchful for him? Today is the, the first Sunday of Lent. So depending on your tradition, you may or may not know what that is. Uh, so Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, so it just started uh, this past week, uh, and it goes up until Easter Sunday. It's the, the time uh, of waiting, of anticipating, uh, of remembering the suffering of Jesus so that we can celebrate the fullness of Easter together. And so that, that begins... This week, this is the first Sunday of it, um, and our focus in the form.life, or if the companion journal, I forgot to grab one on my way up, but you can, you can pick them up if you haven't done that uh, already, is to help us grow in this area of solitude. So throughout, throughout Lent, we're going to have practices each day, each week, just to help us sort of learn how to practice what it looks like to be alone, how to listen for God's Spirit 
So I'd encourage you to join in for that. But even if, even if you don't, the reality is you just have to plan for it with solitude. It doesn't happen in our world. Right? My phone is always, it's always nearby, right? Or, or, you know, music is always playing or the TV or whatever it is, right? We have to plan for it. So maybe it's carving out a little bit of time today. Uh, maybe it's carving out, maybe just every morning this week, take 10 minutes just to sit and listen. Maybe you have a journal, read a couple of verses of scripture, just listen to what God has for you. Ask him these questions. Three things in particular. Holy Spirit, where do I need conviction? This is part of his job. This is what he does. This is how he helps us. Where do I need conviction? Where do I need guidance? And where do I need you to preach Jesus to me? And then just listen. And we're going to take actually just one minute to do that right now uh, as we prepare for communion. Just one minute. So pick one of those questions, right? Um, And uh, let's pray quietly together now. Holy Spirit, we do need your help. And so I pray that even in these, these moments as we prepare to take of the body and blood, the bread and the cup, I pray that you would continue to whisper to each one of us where we need conviction, where we need guidance, where we need you to remind us of the promises of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Would you do that even in this space? And, and two, I pray that you would um, help us to find those moments of solitude, of quiet, to listen so that we could hear your voice through your word, through your people, and through these promptings within us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us alone. That even though you did return to the Father, that your spirit is present here with us everywhere, even within us. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for dying on the cross, for coming out of the grave alive so that we can proclaim that together. And Father, we thank you. Good Father. We thank you that you have welcomed us into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.